You're listening to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering at Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope that this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. I'll go ahead and grab a seat. Congratulations. That was almost one minute of silence. <laughs> Did that frustrate the mess out of anyone? <laughs> I love looking at your faces as I did that because you're trying to be like, everything's fine, everything's cool, this isn't, everything's fine. But you could tell there's some tension in the room, right? Can I get some head nods? Yeah, for sure, it's okay. Like, yeah, there is a little bit of tension in the room. We get frustrated when we don't know what's going on, right? So even in that moment, like even though that's kind of silly, you just expect, because we do it every week, as soon as David's finished, I have my Bible and I start telling the story or whatever, and that's what, what we expect. So when what we expect to happen doesn't happen, we get a little tense, right? And even some of you, maybe you brought a guest today and you're wanting to lean over and be like, I promise it's not normally like this. He doesn't normally stand there awkwardly, right? Because... You want what you expect to happen to happen. And when it doesn't happen, you get frustrated. It's even more frustrating when um, you expect something to happen and there's silence. Do y'all like silence? Let me rephrase that. So I have twin three-year-olds at home and sometimes I like silence. Can I get an amen? Like sometimes silence is good. But outside of things like that, we don't like silence. It makes us uncomfortable. What's the first thing you do typically when you get in your car? What do you do? Turn on some podcast, a music, whatever, a music, <laughs> some music or a podcast because we don't like silence. It's frustrating. Do y'all ever, it's a silly question, I know the answer. Do you get frustrated with life? When, yeah. Things don't go how you planned and to add to the tension and to the frustration, then sometimes it seems like God is silent or just totally unaware of what's going on. So maybe you've got um, someone in your family that is, is sick or they've been sick before and now they're sick again, be it disease or cancer or whatever. And you're like, God, God are, you, are you hearing our prayers? Like, where, where are you at? Maybe some of you, it's, it's recurring financial trouble. You're, you're trying to honor the Lord with your finances. You're trying to, to live a life that stewards the resources he gives, he gives you very well. And then rather than things kind of being on this incline of getting better, you feel like things just get worse. And it maybe you're like, God, God, where are you? And he's just, he's not there. Or it seems he's not there. Sometimes we, we look at our things in our country and we say, God, 
where, where are you? Like, uh, Lord, are you, are, you, are you watching the news? I'm watching the news, maybe too much, but Lord, are you watching what's going on? What, what, what's going on? Where are you at? It's frustrating. Do you think people in the Bible ever felt that way? Oh yeah, for sure. I think one of the greatest claims for, um, or examples, um, proofs you could say of, of that Christianity is real is you read the Bible and it's not this fairy tale magic land. These are real people with real struggles. So if you, if you don't believe that, then, then maybe you haven't read the Bible because people sense that. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to the book of Habakkuk. You may be already there because it's on the screen, but Habakkuk, Habakkuk was a prophet who definitely felt that tension, that frustration that we were just talking about of life not going as planned. And it seemed like God is unaware of the hardships that we're facing. He definitely knew that tension, that struggle. And contrary to what some people believe about your relationship with God, Habakkuk was comfortable just telling God how he felt, of being real with what he was seeing in his life and in his situation and just talking to God about it. Uh, I think a question that Habakkuk helps us answer is how do Christians, how do believers, so not cultural Christians, like, well, I've always gone to church, but people who have a relationship with God by grace through faith in Jesus, how do believers make it through hard times? How, how do they live and not just survive, but even you could say thrive, how do they make it, how do they thrive when life doesn't go as planned, when life is frustrating, when it seems like God is unaware, how do they make it? How do they do it? Well, as we go through Habakkuk, we're gonna, we're gonna get an answer to that question. And here's something cool about Habakkuk before we dive in. Habakkuk is not a narrative, it's not a story, but it kind of reads like a story because in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk is on a journey from frustration to faith. Some of you may need that this morning. I know I have often needed the story of Habakkuk. Lord, how do I journey from frustration, from fear to faith, to, to seeing you? How, how do I do that? You wanna go on a journey with old Habby? Let's do it, all right. Chapter one of Habakkuk. The pronouncement that the prophet Habakkuk saw. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry out to you about violence and you do not save? I just wanna say real quick, some of you maybe, depending on what kind of church background you grew up in, you, you may have grown up feeling like, like you, you read those words of Habakkuk and you're like, oh, Habakkuk. God like that, what are you doing? Don't say that. Habakkuk just straight up asked God, how long, Lord, am I gonna cry out, call for help, and you don't listen? He's not, he's not like, he's not uh, <laughs> chewing out God, he's not disrespecting God, but he's speaking from his heart. He's being real with God. How, how long do I call out to you and you don't listen? Or cry out to you about violence and you don't save? Why do you force me to look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. This is why the law is ineffective and justice never emerges. For the wicked restrict the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. 
Have any of you ever felt the way Habakkuk feels right here? When you look at our world? Yeah, Habakkuk is frustrated that there's so much injustice and evil in his world. And just, you know, he's talking about God's own people. When he looks at Jerusalem, when he looks at Judah, God, there's so much injustice. There's so much evil. And God, you don't seem to be doing anything about it. This violence, this wrongdoing is right in front of me, Lord. And you don't seem to be stopping it. God, where are you? Hey, it's interesting. Oftentimes when you get real with God and, and you quit trying to do the, the same old, God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this food. God, thank you for the beautiful weather outside. And thank you that ACU beat Texas. And Lord, I pray that today that we would just crush those little razorbacks, just get them good. And Lord, uh, we just love you. Amen. Like <laughs> when you quit praying like that and get real with God, it's, it's funny or it's interesting how often you, you experience him, you hear him in a very real way when you kind of cut all the fluff. Like if I talk to my wife every day, like, hey, Lauren, how's it going? Look pretty, I love you, I'll see you later. She'd be like, what? what? <laughs> what is going on? But if, when you actually engage in conversation, it's funny how you, all of a sudden you begin to actually hear the Lord, certainly through his word, and I would say even certainly through his spirit in prayer. It's exactly what happens here. Habakkuk shares his frustration. God, what is going on? And God shows up. Look at verse five. God says to Habakkuk, by the way, sorry, I should have said this a second ago. Interesting, Habakkuk, most prophets, you know, they're talking to the people on behalf of God. This is all about a conversation between Habakkuk and God. Habakkuk doesn't talk to the people. He's, it's a conversation between him and God that we get to sit on, pretty cool. Okay, verse five, God talking to Habakkuk. Look at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded. For I'm doing something in your days that you will not believe when you hear about it. Look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. So <laughs> Habakkuk complains about the wickedness, the evil, the injustice in his own land and his own people. And God says, you wouldn't believe it if I told you, but I'm actually raising up the Chaldeans, who we may know as the Babylonians, or you may know as the Babylonians, um, what I mean is like, it was the Babylonians. The Chaldeans, the Babylonians were being raised up by God to come in and bring justice, to bring punishment, you could say, to the people of Judah. Do you think Habakkuk loved that answer? Probably not. Like just, okay, it's not the same. It's not the same. But just for example, if you're not tracking yet, it would be like if we were praying about injustice and wrongdoing and just like people being evil in America and not following God. And God was like, yeah, I know. That's why I'm raising up whatever country, fill in the blank, to come and crush America. We'd be like, ooh, <laughs> not what I was going for, right? That's kind of what God says. At that time, Assyria was kind of on the outs and Babylon was on the rise. And sure enough, history bore out that Babylon eventually did come in and bring uh, destruction to that area to the promised land. Jump down to verse 12 of chapter one. We're gonna see, makes sense, you're kind of already there. Habakkuk goes from being upset about the injustice in his people, now he's upset about what God's gonna do. <laughs> he says, God, are you not from eternity, Lord my God? My holy one, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. 
Your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? What's he saying? God, why are you going to tolerate? Why are you ordaining to use a nation more wicked than Judah to come and destroy us? God, what are you doing? Why are you raising up Babylon, Babylon, the Chaldeans, to come and destroy your people? How are you going to tolerate that? Verse 17 of chapter one, he says, will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? They they were known, the Babylonians, we talked about this uh, a week or two ago, they were known for being violent people, destructive people, no mercy for their victims. And crushing nation after nation after nation. So Habakkuk says to God, are you really gonna allow this? Like, is, is this the best plan? To use a more wicked nation to destroy us. God, what are you doing? <laughs> Would you be frustrated? Would you be frustrated? Yeah, I'd be frustrated. <laughs> I think it's kind of fair. Chapter two Verse one, so th- I think this could, should really go with, I know that you probably have a break in your Bible like I do, but I think it should really go with the above section. He finishes his frustration with God and he says, I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I, sh- and what I should reply about my complaint. Some commentators say that they think Habakkuk kind of feels like he has God cornered here. Like, Okay, God, you said you, you were aware of the injustice in our people, but now you're gonna use this wicked nation. God, you know that's not cool. What are you gonna do? And so Habakkuk says he's gonna take up in his watchtower and he's gonna wait for God to re- reply, right? He's gonna look out and listen for God to respond to him. He, he's got God cornered. He's, he's got a good point here. God, what are you gonna do about this? You ever felt that way? What I mean is you look at the situation and you're like, God, I know you're from eternity past, you know, the beginning from the end, and I know I'm only 17 or 73 or 35, but Lord, I feel like I've got this thing pegged pretty good. <laughs> and Lord, I know you can see from, from every angle, and I can see with just these two eyes, but Lord, I feel like I've seen some things that you're not really aware of right now. <laughs> and Lord, from, from what I'm seeing, it seems like, I just don't know that you know what you're doing right here, Lord. You've not said that, but don't lie to me and tell me you haven't thought it. <laughs> Can I get a head nod? God, what are you doing? Habakkuk says, the Lord answered me. Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. What's he saying? He's saying, write this down because this will happen. You can take it to the bank. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. But the righteous one will live by his faith. The righteous one will live by his faith. We're gonna give some more context in a second. 
But God's leaning into Habakkuk here saying, what I'm about to tell you, you can bank on. It's not happened yet, but it will happen. It says, look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. Kind of two, two thoughts here. So one being that the king of Babylon, that Babylon is inflated, this big ego and arrogant and thinks he's all that, the king of Babylon. But also we see in scripture that Babylon is a picture of, of really all those ultimately who rebel against God and do not submit to his authority. So there's this picture of not just in Habakkuk's time, Babylon, but even for the days to come, even to our day of those who rebel against God and want nothing to do with him. And you can even throw the Antichrist in there that want nothing to do with God or to submit to his authority. It says, yes, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous one will live by his faith. This is, a, this is God inviting Habakkuk to a turning point in his life. Habakkuk, yeah, it looks bad. There's some arrogance out there. There's some evil out there. But I'm gonna invite you to live by faith. To trust that even when circumstances look totally overwhelming, to trust that I'm good, that I'm aware, that I'm in control, and that I know what's going on. (laughs) To live by faith. The righteous, those who are in a right relationship with God. So not those who have it all together and are perfect, never sin, but no, those who are in a right relationship with God live by faith. How do you come into a right relationship with God? By faith. We know from the New Testament, trusting in Christ. And how do you, as a person who's in a right relationship with God, how do you continue to live in that life and, and make it through the hardest of times? You live by faith. Even when you can't see what's in front of you, you live by faith. And God goes on to tell Habakkuk, look, I'm gonna bring justice. I'm aware. Look at verse nine of chapter two. He says, woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people's labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. You will be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will cover your glory. By the way, who's he, who's he talking about here? Habakkuk or Babylon? Talking about Babylon. Talking about the judgment to come to Babylon. Verse 17, for your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. What use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It is only a cast image, a teacher of lies. For the one who crafts its shape trusts in it and makes worthless idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, wake up, or to mute stone, come alive. Can it teach? Look, it may be plated with gold and silver, yet there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. 
Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. So God tells Habakkuk, just to summarize it real quickly, I'm fully aware of how wicked and evil Babylon is, and I will bring justice. All wrongs will be made right. And the king of Babylon, he can worship these little idols of made out of wood and stone. He can say, hello, cute little idol, but it's just a piece of wood. <laughs> it's just a rock. All the while, God, it says, is in his holy temple. And then God says to Habakkuk, and he says to us, us let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Quiet, silence is frustrating. But sometimes the only appropriate response to being in the presence of an almighty, all-knowing, just God is what? Silence. We're not done yet, but did God show up and talk to Habakkuk? Yeah. I wanna remind you, it started with Habakkuk being real about what he was experiencing. Christianity does not ask you to leave reality at the door. It welcomes it in. Christianity does not ask you or require you to leave hardship and questions at the door. It welcomes it in because God can handle it. God has met with Habakkuk. Habakkuk's learning to turn from frustration uh, and fear to, to fear in God, which results in faith that God is in control. So he says, he talks to God in chapter three and he says, Lord, I've heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in all of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years in your wrath. Remember mercy. So he says, God, God I'm, in, I'm in all of you. And Lord, but would, would you have mercy on your people in your wrath as you bring judgment, as you begin to make all things right and one day we'll make all things right forever and ever, as Revelation shows us. God, would you even now, would you show mercy to your people? Would you deliver your people? And then he kind of goes on this, this amazing rant, if you will, on the goodness of God. J jump to, to verse 10 with me, just for the sake of time. He says, the mountain, this is Habakkuk talking about God. He says, the mountains see you and shudder. A downpour of water sweeps by. The deep, he's talking about the ocean. The deep roars with its voice and lifts its waves high. Sun and moon stand still in their lofty residence at the flash of your flying arrows, at the brightness of your shining spear. You march across the earth with indignation and trample down the nations in wrath. You come out to save your people, to save your anointed. You crush the leader of the house of the wicked and strip him from foot to neck. You pierce his head with his own spears, with his warriors storm out to scatter us, gloating as if ready to secretly devour the weak. You tread the sea with your horses, stirring up the vast water. Prayer, excuse me, Habakkuk reveals in his prayer that he believes and now knows and trusts that God is good, that God is sovereign, that even the mountains 
shudder before God and his might and his power. And that one day, yes, even if you can't see it yet, that one day God will make all things right, even though they're not just yet. But do you see in Habakkuk's prayer how he does already, he's kind of journeyed from frustration to faith in God. Do you see that? Are you with me? Do you see that? All right, we're, we're not, that's, I need you to be with me because we're not done yet. Yeah, he, he's journeying from, from frustration to faith. God, I, I, you're in control. The mountains shudder before you. You're gonna bring judgment. You're gonna save your anointed. You're gonna save your people. Ultimately, God, you're gonna take care of your people. He, he's got some faith here. But I think the best part of the book is the last three verses, or the last three verses. You ever, um, you ever have those moments where, just to give some examples here, maybe uh, this just comes to mind. I remember when I was in eighth grade, my sister was in sixth grade. She got a really bad four-wheeler accident, like, uh, doctors thought she wouldn't make it. And I'm not telling you this to sob story. I'm telling you so you can like kind of get the place where I think Habakkuk was. But I remember we went to the hospital and she was in a coma for like two weeks. But I remember um, my older sister and I went to the hospital the night that it happened and my parents stayed up there. But we came back to our house that night. Uh, and I remember sitting in my room and just kind of having this moment of like all the thoughts of what was going on with my sister and trying to trust God. And, and I, was, I was a Christian. I got saved when I, was in, uh, when I was 11 years old. So I was a Christian in eighth grade. So I was trying to talk with God about it. And um, it was kind of one of those where all the, all the storm had been kind of raging around my thoughts and mind and rushing to the hospital that afternoon. But then when I got home, there was kind of this, this quiet you just had to sit in. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe, it, maybe it's you've, uh, you lost your job and the, the, there's, the day's busy and there's lots of conversations. But then at some point you get home and if you're married, you, you look at your spouse and you, you sit down and you kind of have a quiet conversation. Or maybe something like you, you tried out, something as simple as you, you tried out for a team and didn't make it. And at some point, you try to play cool, everything's fine, but some, at some point, like, you get home and things kind of quiet down in your soul. You have to kind of reflect. Or maybe you go to a great conference or maybe God speaks to you really um, incredibly on a Sunday morning or you go to a disciple now retreat or whatever and it's busy and it's fun, but then you get home, you're gonna have to reflect in the quiet. Y'all been there before? I think, I think this is kind of the, the mood, if you will. It's okay to talk about emotions. You're gonna see why in a second. I'm not just making things up. I think the mood of this is kind of that setting. So if, if you could just imagine, I think, I'm not saying Habakkuk was sitting down when he wrote this, but I think the mood is appropriate that maybe envision you and old Habby are sitting across from each other and you're asking him about what he's experienced of his frustration with what he sees and now God's gonna come and, and bring, use this wicked nation to come and bring judgment on his, the people that Habakkuk loves and that God loves and on the, the nation and on the literally the land that he loves and he's walked and lived his life on and he's kind of wrestling with all these things. If, if you were to ask, hey, Habakkuk, how's, how you doing, man? How you doing? Here's what Habakkuk says. Verse 16. I heard, 
and I trembled within. When I heard what, what God was gonna do, I trembled. My lips quivered at the sound. You ever gotten news that you couldn't help it, but even as a grown man, your lips kind of quiver because it so shakes you to the core? He said, rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. That did rottenness entered my bones. It's kind of a, a, a way of saying like, my bones melted. Like I, I couldn't even stand. I, I, I just kind of crumbled. You ever had that kind of news where a friend had to kind of hold, hold you and hug you because man, you just, you couldn't handle it. Took the breath out of you. I said, now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. So he looks at you and says, man, now I'm in this in-between. I'm in this waiting stage where, yes, I know God's gonna make all things right. He's gonna bring justice and he's gonna redeem his people. But but right now there's a people coming to invade us, to crush us. I'm just in this waiting stage. Verse 17, though the fig tree does not bud and there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. All these pictures, those, those images may be kind of lost on us, but all those pictures were, were images and, and reality for them of of wealth and prosperity and, and welfare. I don't mean like prosperity gospel, just meaning like of things going well. So to, to maybe jump the bridge to our side of, of 2000 years later, um, it would be like if man, stock market is completely crashed. I look in the fridge, there ain't no food in there, which may be true at your house like mine most time anyways. <laughs> There's no food in the fridge. My, my closet's empty, my, my car's broke down. I've lost my friends. Like everything shows failure, destruction, hopelessness. That's what Habakkuk says. I look out and it shows complete devastation. We're headed for the worst. Verse 18, this is a huge word, though it's only three letters. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He did not say, man, everything's gone, everything's wiped away, but I'm just gonna act like it's cool. No, this is terrible. I tremble at the thought of it, but yet I will choose to celebrate in the Lord, the God of my salvation. I'm not gonna celebrate in just the many good gifts that he's given me in the past or he may give me in the future. I'm gonna celebrate in him and him alone because as we just sang a little bit ago, we believe he is better than anything. He's the best, that's all I need. It's easy to say, but that's where Habakkuk was. God was literally stripping away everything he loved and knew and had been favored with. And he says, all I've got is God left, but he's enough. He says, the Lord, Yahweh, my Lord, Adonai, is my strength. He's saying, God is my vice. It, and we say, people say, Christianity is a crutch. That gum right it is, yeah. Because every single person on this planet is weak and broken and we need a crutch. And thank God that that crutch took the form of a cross. <laughs> Jesus came to rescue us and to save us. And he is our strength. It says, the Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He's my vice. He makes my feet like those of a deer. What in the world is that? Everyone look down right now. Your feet have turned into deer's feet. No, I'm kidding, not really. <laughs> That'd be super creepy, right? What does he mean? 
He's made my feet like those of a deer and enables, and enables me to walk on mountain heights. The, the deer that he's talking about was not like what we know in Texas, God's country, but deer, a, a red deer. In that time in the um, promised land area, a red deer was known for having what you could say, sure-footedness, so stable, solid feet, walking along the crags and the high places, the slippery slopes, the rocky places of the mountains. So Habakkuk's using a metaphor. He doesn't mean literally. But God's made my feet like those of a deer and, and enables me to walk on mountain heights. So God has enabled me as I, as I trust him, as I put my faith in him, even though the situation is terrible, as I put my faith in him, he's enabled me to walk and keep pushing, keep going, even in a rocky, slippery place. You ever been down the Colorado River? Wait, no, the Arkansas River in Colorado and looked up and seen those bighorn sheep up there? If you haven't, you're going down, like in, uh, for example, the Royal Gorge. You're going down this river and you look way up there and somehow on the side of this mountain, barely standing there, is this big, bighorn sheep. And you're like, how did he get up there above all that? That's kind of this picture here that God, as he enables us, as we trust him, he enables us to keep walking, to keep going in a rocky place, in a slippery place, and to get up above the chaos and the fray to a place as F.F. Uh, F. Bruce calls, that is a higher plane where the soul is in direct touch with God. So as I trust God, as I walk with him, he enables me to have relationship and communion with him in a way that maybe I haven't experienced before, even in this hard time, as I place my faith and my trust in him day after day after day. And then he finishes the book with, for, it says, for the choir director on stringed instruments. What in the world? Why did I talk about mood earlier? Verses 16 through 19, what is this? This is a song. This is a song. Why is that important? Faith in hard times is a song that you choose to sing. Y'all with me? You choose to sing. In hard times, I can stand there and like, or I can say, God, I may not feel it yet, but I'm gonna choose to put my faith and trust in you. As Eugene, the late Eugene Peterson said, when you do the right thing with your head and with your hands, your heart will soon follow. God, I don't really feel this right now, but I'm gonna choose to sing to you. So the question is, will you choose to sing in the in-between? Will you choose to have faith in God and worship him and pursue him and, and trust him in this in-between of already but not yet, that the world is still broken and flawed and there are hard times, but trusting and knowing that one day God will make all things new. He will make all things right. Will you choose to sing, to trust and know that one day, as Revelation says, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more mourning, no more sorrow. Will you choose to sing in the in-between? You know what it makes me think of? You don't have to turn there because I'm just gonna read one verse. It makes me think of Hebrews 2, this whole idea of the in-between and, and wrestling with what Habakkuk wrestled with. He's talking about everything, creation, being subject to Christ, meaning under his authority and everything being perfectly in place as he wants it to be. And it says, as it is, we do not yet see everything subjected to him. So as it is, so far, we still see a broken, flawed, messed up world. We still see disease. We still see drug addiction. We still see 
porn addiction. We still, we still see mental health issues. We still see emotional issues. We see people not following after Jesus. But here's what we do see. We do see Jesus may lower than the angels for a short time so that by God's grace, he might taste death for everyone, crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. Y'all, we don't see a perfect world yet, but we do see Jesus. Amen? And he is enough for us to keep, pursu- excuse me, to keep pushing through, to keep pushing on, to keep walking with God. I wanna read this one quote. I wrote my Bible because I loved it so much. This is from David Mathis. He says, for God's people, those who are righteous by faith, hardship is not the end of the story. It never ends in pain for the people of God. It never ends in darkness. It never ends in trouble. Devastation never has the last word. Our story doesn't end with Good Friday. The grave is not the end. It's the in-between. Sunday is coming and trusting him now enables us to live with patience and joy. So the question this morning as we finish, if you look at verse 18, do you have a so kind of faith or a yet kind of faith? A so kind of faith says, man, everything's falling apart. My life is in shambles. So I'm just gonna give up on God. I'm just gonna quit. A yet kind of faith says, man, everything's falling apart. Everything's in shambles. Yet I will choose to have faith in God. Will you sing in the in-between? May we be a church that has faith even when we're frustrated. Would you stand up for a second with me as we begin to go into a time of response? Would you, if you're a believer, would you just ask God? Or first of all, maybe you need to be real with God about some frustrations you're feeling and seeing. When you ask God to give you faith, would you ask him to help you trust him even in the hard times? Make that your prayer. While believers are praying, I wanna say if if you don't know Christ, the reality is your story does end in devastation and darkness. (laughs) The grave is the the empty, or excuse me, the the grave is, signifies what is the end for you of hopelessness, separation from God. But because as Hebrews 2 said that Jesus tasted death for all of us and rose again, you can have a relationship with God you can know him. And then because of that, have, have faith and have belief and have hope in the hard times. You can know him by simply what scripture says, calling on his name. Jesus, would you save me? Would you forgive me? Lord, I wanna follow you. A couple of our pastors are gonna be down front. Casey and uh, Jack are in here. I'm gonna ask them to be down front. And maybe here in a moment as we sing this song, as a Christian, maybe you need prayer for, man, I just need encouragement. I'm in a hard place. I'm frustrated. I need, I need some faith. They would love to pray with you. Maybe you're not a Christian and you want to know more about what it's like to trust Jesus. They would love to pray with you and talk with you. But if you're a believer, I'm going to ask you 
to choose to sing this song we're about to sing even in the in between. Y'all sing with us. If you were encouraged by today's message, subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcasts. To learn more about the venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. 